0: Welcome to another edition of the Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. Please allow me to introduce you to our guest, best-selling author and podcaster, Lou Diamond.
1: Mark, thank you for having me here today. Lou, welcome. Thank you, thank you for being here. Honored to be here. Excited to to chat with you. Always a pleasure.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you and I appreciate it being on your show for sure. So will you please give us a little bit about your professional background and a little bit about your podcast as well?
1: Yeah, I love telling people I was put on this planet to work with the most amazing businesses, leaders, and brands and help them thrive through the power of connecting. And I do this through my company called Thrive, where I help companies with sales, to better connect to their customers and to better connect. I was a top-performing salesperson on Wall Street and consulting before that, even when the internet first came out working in that particular role. And I recognized that I never really thought it was about sales. I remembered thinking that sales was the wrong title. The reality was is that I was always about connecting, connecting and establishing a relationship with prospects, clients, accounts that blossomed into many, many sales. So sales was always the result. And what I found really interesting was that I had a unique way of doing this and a different methodology about it. And after years of doing it and then recognizing I could help other businesses, leaders, and brands do the same, I recognized I needed to tell this story a little more. And that's when I wrote Master the Art of Connecting and the skills you need to do that. Uh, my podcast is called Thrive Loud, which is featuring those that are thriving in their lives, their businesses, and their passions. Which is why we had a guy like Mark Kramer on the program, who does that each and every day. And interestingly, it is also an incredible way to connect with people—not just the listeners, but also the guests that we have on the program. And it's been a huge driver in platform that we've created for the business. So the ability to connect and master that connecting is amplified and highlighted on Thrive Lab.
0: Well, we're super excited to have you. So let's start off with what's the most effective ways to network when you can't meet people in person, which we've been under essentially lockdown since March. It is amazing, right? You know, uh, someone once said to
1: me, you know, as we do this meeting here virtually and, and your viewers come in and look at this, you know, this is a bridge to connect where we are right now, right? I mean, this is not the way we really want to be connecting. We we love the in-person connectivity that we can have. But so in this state of where we can be isolated and we're not really in the same room with people, uh, I've always been a big fan of figuring out the best ways to use each one of the mediums that we have to better increase our relationships with people. So it's not just about, oh, I got to be everywhere. I got to be sending out LinkedIn uh, requests to people to add to my network, or I have to be able to get a whole bunch of followers to get me on Facebook or Instagram or other social media platforms, or I should be sending out email lists all the time of updates of what I'm doing. I think all of us recognize that we're a little digitally exhausted, whether it's Zoom fatigue or our email inboxes or, or checking our phones constantly. We're in front of a screen all the time in this crazy world. So I'm very much about, Mark, making sure that what I sign off my show is you be brief, be bright, be gone in all those forms of communication and make sure that you have a clear call to action when you're connecting with someone. There should be a purpose where you're not just reaching out selfishly for yourself. You want to be selflessly reaching out to people um, so that you're offering to help them because that is what people need right now. In, in whatever line of business, you probably have a service that you can help them with and you can use all these different communications to do it. Can I give you an example, Mark, of things that are annoying me right now and ways you should not connect and network?
0: And that's one of my questions for sure.
1: <laughs>
0: is there anything more annoying
1: than receiving these LinkedIn requests from people who you do not know, almost like an instant message thing. And they're basically offering services on how they could help you in this cold call outreach. By the way, it's not just like a really short little message. It's this long instant message in the LinkedIn message platform that you have to scroll like three or four pages to read what this thing is. And, they, and you don't know who this person is. And they're selling their whole offerings and whatnot. Meanwhile, what's really interesting is that some people, when they reach out to someone, they really do have something that they can help them with. And there are better tactics on how you can do that, like just understanding what are your needs right now? What are your problems? As opposed to telling you how I'm the greatest thing in the entire world and I want to show you all my capabilities and you have to pay XYZ to go do it. Nobody wants to be hit this way. And it's happening so many times each day, Mark, that it's part of the reason we're getting very frustrated in finding really good ways to connect in this environment when we're remote. So that's one of my big taboos is this like very cold push outreach that people are doing electronically and specifically on that platform.
0: So, you know, and this touches on what you've already kind of started, how do you become a trusted connector with people you don't know?
1: You know, I recognize you have to have one big thing to bring to the table, and that is you have to own what it is that you do really well. And how you can help someone. That is the starting point. And what you're trying to do is start a conversation. I'm gonna take a quote from a very good colleague and friend of mine, a very well known speaker, Phil M. Jones. He has this expression when it comes to um, relationships you want to ask questions that start conversations that build relationships with the people you do business with. So it all starts with asking a really good question. And that is the opening line for how you can meet someone. It isn't just like, what do you do? You know, or what is the role that you, you serve in life? It's maybe more along the lines of, um, are you looking for help in growing your sales? Are you looking to hire new people into your organizations? Are you looking to grow? These are good questions that obviously, you know, are good questions. And we know they are yes, no answers, but how you want to do it is what you're trying to figure out. So I'm a big fan of, every time I meet someone trying to figure out a problem that they have and can I solve it? And that's how you go about doing it. It starts with asking those questions in a conversation. Um, And that could be like we're having it right now. I love to move people to one-on-one conversations. If you think about when you're in person in a networking event, you have a few minutes to talk to someone um, and then you're probably gonna move over and talk to somebody else. Mark, in this world, our goal is to take the masses like from a group like this and then move it to a one on one conversation where we can really understand how we can help one another. I even send out 10 minute uh, meeting invites to people, Mark, because that's not so much to ask of someone to say, hey, I'd love to have 10 minutes to just kind of explain maybe what I do or learn what you do, and maybe we could help each other. That's a great way to not book up a half hour or an hour or a day of somebody's time.
0: And and do you have a a different methodology now that we're online doing these online networking events as opposed to when you're live and in person? So here's the funny thing, Mark. Um, Before COVID,
1: this was the way that I was doing my world anyway. Uh, Obviously, I speak and I travel around and I talk about how organizations can better connect and I work with companies to do that. But the bulk of the consulting work I do is actually working from this environment and helping people thrive virtually. So I was doing this for the last two years. And a lot of it was in the communication that we would use, the right sales messaging to use in your your language and the emails you might write, or the best way to work with a sales team or a group to better connect and get solved problems. I didn't always have to physically be in the room with people. So I was doing this beforehand. Uh, so when COVID hit and everybody was doing it this way, I recognized I needed to help a lot of people do virtual better. So that became the big focus of what 2020 was about. I'm standing in this very spot right now in my podcast slash office studio. You'll notice here, there's like a green screen. I can superimpose lots of things and some of the graphic stuff I have around here um, to present better the way we do this. There's nothing worse than when someone shares their screen and they become this little small box Um, on the zoom screen right and as opposed to just seeing me on your screen right now because you're trying to connect with people we want to break through this glass as best as we can and that's part of what I do each day so I've been doing it for a while
0: so excluding COVID do you still carry business cards or you just do LinkedIn or you do both it's so funny you said this because I
1: saw uh, he's he's a most prepared person. People, Mark came with a ton of these are kind of the questions I'm going to ask, and I did skim through this one. Uh, when in person, I would bring certain business cards, but I did not like to give business cards in that way. Normally, uh, I'm not a big fan of the business card dump. I have this whole theory about when you go to a big trade show, those old sales conferences, which maybe we've gone to, or your industry that you're in, you used to go there and used to leave like with all the swag and the cool things that you'd get, all the little- Yeah, I like the swag. The gadgets and the things that you get from those events. Um, I would find it really interesting that at the end of those trips, I would have stacks of business cards and I go, who are these people? And why did I have their cards? So I was very particular on when I would actually exchange a business card in person. Uh, It would be a situation where I already did those things. I had a great question, conversation, session with somebody in that environment. and knew that there was a follow-up. I'll be honest, I I more, more often than not will exchange something else, a cell number, an email, whatever they prefer. And that's actually really important. I actually will ask the person I'm trying to connect with what their medium of communication they use most. Today, we get too many emails, right? I mean, like just getting an email is enough, but I will say this, that I have found some really interesting ways that people love to communicate. Some people just love to speak on the phone. Some people love to, um, to use social media windows. Some people use Slack and they'll communicate that way to communicate. I wanna understand what they're most comfortable with. I wanna be on that platform. So. As for having business cards, I don't like to give a business card. Like, here's my card and go do it. I actually love to ask for someone's business card. And I think that's really important. In fact, even if you recognize you had a good conversation and you want to take it to the next level with your business cards, I used to be like, would you like my card or can I get your card so that we can follow up and figure out the best way to communicate? So interestingly, I'm out of business cards and I recognize I haven't reordered them. And it's one of the funniest things ever because I'm like, do I need to? Well, I'm hoping to, because I do like going to those events where I can find
0: that person I have a connection with, Mark, and exchange Yeah, I know most people under the age of 35 just don't even believe in business cards anymore and just believe you'll just exchange on LinkedIn and you'll link in with each other. I think LinkedIn is the
1: new business card. um, And I believe it's really more important than ever that your LinkedIn really represents how you want to be positioned. And uh, I do a lot of work with uh, CEOs and leaders and helping them even better message the way they message themselves. And it says so much more than just a card. So I'm hoping to have the ability to give someone a card in the last case scenario, but odds are it's gonna be directing them to some digital media.
0: One of the questions we got was uh, someone who who wrote would you like to earn significantly higher yields on your investment assets through special situation investing? And they're wondering, is that a good way to lead into someone? It sounds too open-ended,
1: doesn't it? It sounds a little bit like, you know, putting that car salesman piece in there. yeah. I want to make, yeah, I feel like it's like, you know, would you like a great offering? Like if if you feel that what you're saying is something that could be played at two in the morning on some infomercial and car commercial that might get you to buy something, then it probably isn't the right thing to say. Uh, Personalizing what you're saying and understanding where they're at. First of all, get doing a further drill down with someone to ask them questions, to understand exactly where they focus on, who their clients are the type of work they do, what do they they look for in partners is a big thing, what are you looking for? And then if you've drilled down to that point and they are looking for a need for something that you might be able to fill, that's the right time to say, well, would you be willing to hear what we do and how I might be able to help you? As opposed to, would you like to figure out a solution that could be an end all all be all for everybody?
0: Yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah, Mark, I wanna make one distinction. In all these situations, it's not about, as I said, it's not about networking. I have a big network. Everyone here has someone in their network. You need a network. For me, it's connect working. It's to make connections in your network. That's where business gets done. So there is that first step of getting into the network of someone else, but it's truly having a connect working relationship (laughs) with somebody. It's a word I made up. I like it. I've got a trademark pending, but it is the way that I like to think about the relationship I have with someone, not just networking, to help you triple over those words or trip over those words as you try to say that for the rest of the interview
0: here. Well, one of the questions is, uh, LinkedIn is the most underrated business uh, business of tools. Do you know how to get your social selling index on LinkedIn?
1: I do. It's a longer answer because I've actually had to look into it. It's not my specific expertise. Um, there is a certain number of... Uh, of connections that you need to have on LinkedIn to have that ability to do that. There's also um, another underrated application of LinkedIn is the number of groups that you should be in. You should, the groups feature interestingly has gone through an ups and downs and ebbs and flows of activity within LinkedIn. And some of those groups are incredible and they've gotten so niche, niche if you would, uh, into specific areas, that to become one of those uh, descriptors that you just described in in the selling what do they call it what's the the title that he put it in there to have that you also be involved in certain groups
0: social selling index
1: social selling you have to be in certain groups as well as long as having a certain number of networks but um, it's not my full expertise with that i could look up and figure out what
0: we did to do that because i know i'm in that group my team helped me how do you use linkedin groups i'm in a lot of linkedin groups and 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 when I've posted, like when, you know, having guests on shows, I actually, and and I'm connected supposedly to literally, I I total them all up over 3 million. Yeah. And I I don't see them uh, yielding really anything. And I remember when I had John Chambers, who was a chairman CEO of Cisco Systems. Yeah. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he said, I didn't, he said, uh, he hasn't seen much value in his people, have used LinkedIn for marketing purposes. He sees a lot of value when people are looking for jobs or looking for people that you're looking to hire, but he hasn't seen where those LinkedIn groups. So do you have a, a yeah. process that you use that has been successful for you? I do. With LinkedIn groups? Um,
1: and it's not only LinkedIn groups, it's, it's uh, it, I wanna make it clear, you don't wanna be in every group. You can't be all things to all people. Right. Um, and it is way more important to find your specific niche of who you communicate with, make it clear, whether Mark has three an outreach to tap into 3 million people, but he really only needs to tap into 300 people or 30 people that are potentially who we could do business with. It's identifying and understanding that within the community that makes LinkedIn a powerful platform. Um, so my point on the, the groups is the groups that are very core and specific to what you want to be in. You do not need to be in every single group because you just might wear a hat at one point or another that's in that you should find the ones that are actively communicating. To what Chambers was discussing, the biggest problem that LinkedIn has as it relates to content is the same issues that Facebook and Twitter have. And that is an algorithm that you are fighting or or Instagram for that matter. And that is uh, you are only seeing what you are seeing based on the frequency of people that have seen you or followed you very recently or are constantly posting or always tagging you So one of the biggest tactics, Mark, that you are very familiar with as part of what I call the Thrive Loud rules when we promote any episode of our show is that I require my guests to post and require and tag us for every episode. And what we do is we launch, we have several posts every week regarding promoting the guests on the show. But there are other things that I promote as well for my business. Uh, One of my clients, I'm doing a workshop for next week. We've been promoting some of the activity they've been doing leading up to it. It's intentional, we're tagging the people that are gonna be at that conference because we're now trying to be in their sphere of influence for a short window of time. That will enable us to see the people and the posts that we want more often than not. We have also, and I highly recommend this for your own businesses, for your own report card, aside from your groups and aside from the way you post and tag people, use the recommendations feature in your profile, your clients should you want your best testimonials of the work that you do, get that them to post it in your LinkedIn profile. Let me tell you why. <laughs> when people have given a recommendation for another, it's almost like the ultimate tagging of somebody in LinkedIn and the algorithm. So someone who's given a recent recommendation, it's almost like new content that comes from that person is going to be pushed to the top. So both giving and receiving recommendations on LinkedIn is gonna be a huge way for you to con- increase that moment of when you've connected to somebody to get more people to learn about you, find you out that aren't connected
0: to you, and then start following. Interesting, very, very interesting. Could you ask, uh, one of the questions here is, could you ask a modification of the previous introduction? We provide uh, situation high yielding investment opportunities to an investment only group. I guess they're asking, could. have been changed and do better I, i also wonder when you're uh marketing financial services there's so many people marketing financial services that i think it's overwhelming it's it's almost not unique enough and and really the only people you can uh promote these things to are people you actually do know or they or they turn you off so what is the exact question you want me to answer so if if he shortened what he was doing is there a better way of him uh trying to not come across as you mentioned kind of like uh selling cars yeah is there a better way especially for something like financial services when there's everybody is pitching those things to you
1: yeah so let's make it personal okay you heard me on the opening of this program say to you that i was put on this planet to work with the most amazing business leaders and brands and help them thrive through connecting. Okay, it took me a long time to figure this out, but that is what I do. That is literally my purpose. And by the way, it's a way more engaging way to start a conversation than to say, I'm a growth consultant that specializes in a certain niche or area. The reality is, is that's what I do. So it, to distinguish yourself from financial services, spin the conversation around, what is it that you love about what you do? and tell people about it. I I love to call this, you need to unleash your superpower. And in LinkedIn, you could do it as that first line descriptor of what you do. You know, you've got some title, Mark's got some amazing things on his bio in LinkedIn, but there's that other piece that says exactly your statement. That statement is your uniqueness to the world. It is, that is why people do business with you. That is why they want to connect with you. That is why, you are trying to promote yourself out there because you have something to offer that's going to make this world better. I'd rather do something with a superhero than I would a regular average Joe. We all love superheroes. Make your superhero the thing that you lead with when you connect with someone. And I trust you, people want to know more. They want to dig in and understand what it is that you do. These aren't easy things to do, by the way, to figure it out, you may need a help. You may need coach to help unearth what that is. You may need your friends to figure it out. I do a lot of exercise with my clients to help do this. But to get your superpower to lead with it and unleash it is really something that gets you to stand out from your competition and from other people in your space.
0: How do you handle ghosting when an individual starts to go silent?
1: Ghosting in that which way that if I keep reaching out to somebody and nobody's responding to
0: me? Yeah, like you like, yeah, like they've they've reached out to you as a prospect and you responded, but then, and it seems like you're having a back and forth and then all of a sudden you just stop. Yeah.
1: When does the rhythm of the sale or the rhythm of the relationship dry up? I always love to ask this question Were you doing all the things that connected? Um, In the book, I talk about the power of empathy and master the art of connecting, when you connect with someone, it isn't so much about what you've got going on in your world. If this is what your circle represents, this is your world, and this is the person you're trying to target. And when you're meeting with someone and you're having interactions and you didn't quite connect, it sounds like that's what that is. You didn't connect. You had a back and forth. You got like this close. You networked, if you would. You got close and you touched with one another. The two circles kind of like pointed, but they never really Past the barrier, never really got connected into each other. And I always say, well, why is that? Well, why that is is because you probably did not do something that is essential towards bringing these worlds together and having them overlap. And that is to stand in the shoes of the person you're trying to connect with and see things from their world. Get into their world and understand what they're all about. Don't talk about you ask questions about how you're going to help them what's going on in their world over here that you can help what are the things that you can do to make this person's world better odds are if you didn't make this merge and you didn't connect you would have seen it by the ghosting you would have seen it you would have been here you didn't re- you only talked maybe about yourself and some like, said oh they're not they just don't fit into my world right now and that's why ghosting happens because if you do fit into the world and you recognize that you're going to solve a problem for the person you trying to connect with, they're not going to ghost you. They're going to add you into your world and you're not going to have to worry about that. So when you get ghosted, you have to look back at your communications and say, was I doing the best job to step into their shoes and understand things from their world?
0: And Lou, it sounds like also good dating advice. <laughs>
1: You did so funny this morning. I'm going to give a shout out to my good friend, Mindy Barnett. Mindy had me on her show. I'm looking at it right here. I was on early this morning, uh, forming a connection with context. She has a show called, I think, The Race for the Ring. And it's very true. That would be the same thing for dating. Isn't this true about connections? We're trying to make connections personally. It shouldn't be any different in the way that we're doing business. We are humans. We're trying to do business with humans. We're not AI apps or bots that are coming in and trying to just pull your product off the shelf. We're trying to do something where we're providing a service that is gonna help another human being on this planet. And that's what we're here to do. So if we're not doing that each and every day, we're not living up to the best persons that we can be. We're not embodying that superpower
0: that we were put on this planet to live up. Uh, One of the uh, listeners said, I was told that too many recommendations is detrimental Is that true or doesn't sound like it from your comment? That's a great
1: point. I think it also depends on what these recommendations say. Um, I I don't know what's on my profile. You can all go look it up afterwards on LinkedIn and see. There's like 30 some odd really good recommendations, but they're meaty and they're specific to how I helped that person. Um, I don't know if you have like a, you know, 7 million recommendations. I don't know what those people are saying. But remember, LinkedIn, you actually have to write something. Um, and it's gotta be unique. So my thought in the LinkedIn environment is that it's probably pretty valuable. I actually take the ones that are the best from LinkedIn and I put them on my own website so that people can see that because they probably really were a great client and a great relationship. So I'm hoping that helps understand. I don't know if having that many recommendations matters, but when people read those recommendations and they have some real good meat to them and they're specific, they're going to help you with your business and
0: help you grow your business too from a referral point of view. I think, I think the key point there was meaty. Uh, you know, if they just say yeah. you're a great guy or a great lady, that's nothing. Yeah, but those if they are, can be specific about what you've done. For I would them, delete those. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course.
1: Oh, sorry. I was just going to just one more point on that, Mark. If, I, if you're going to ask somebody for a recommendation in LinkedIn, you have the ability to actually provide what that recommendation is. So maybe you can even say, hey, can you say something about the work we just did on this project? So you can make it really specific and that will be very helpful to getting a good recommendation
0: that's meaty. No, 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 you're right. Uh, and that's a good point for them. Um, are there cultural rules when networking in other countries? As I mentioned, we have listeners from 31 countries. Um, so yeah. are there different rules?
1: So yeah, they're, they're my favorite rule, of course, uh, I, I, used to, I used to work on Wall Street and I did a ton of business in Japan and uh, Japanese culture uh, is, is very unique and obviously they were way ahead of us without handshaking, they were bowing way ahead of time. Um, so whether the handshake culture is gone or not, t- TBD on that, but a lot of Asian cultures will bow and nod when you're saying something and you might interpret that as they're totally getting what I'm saying, they totally are in agreement with me, they're nodding, that's not always the case. Um, so I always like to make sure that I clarify in, in different cultures to make sure that we bridge that communication gap. I also did a lot of business in Norway and they're much less vocal in the way they communicated, very terse in the way they, they speak. And I have interpreted that initially as cold and standoffish, but in reality, it's not. That's just a culture piece. What I would recommend is if you're going or you have to do businesses with those other cultures, uh, ask over clarification questions. Don't assume anything. Always just jump out and make sure that you're really penetrating and being clear. So whether it's the visual context that you're understanding or language communication issues, just be clear and be clear. Don't, Don't go off with assumptions after those relations. So yes, cultures do matter and cultures are important because it also helps you adapt The way you communicate and the way you connect, stepping into their shoes so you could see things and communicate in ways that they best understand and can relate to.
0: So, um, one of the things you write about, uh, you talked about the concept of connecting core. How each of how do each of the four parts work? Talk about that.
1: I didn't believe this initially, and I recognize this is. I bet you all think there are some people who are just natural connectors. They're naturally. Uh, the ability to pull people in. You've probably been, oh, that person's a natural salesperson or a natural this or that. This is true that some people are born with more natural tendencies than others. But as it relates to our ability to connect, we all have what I call muscles, the connecting core muscles that we all can work on like a good workout that enable us to better connect to other people in the world. And that's actually part of the reason why I wrote Master the Art of Connecting, because I figured out what these muscles were. And the muscle I actually call is the SAFE, S-A-F-E. Think of it like a really cool like tight four pack instead of a six pack, if you would. Right. The reality is, you know this, if you are a physically fit person in life and you strengthen your core, you could do lots of things. You can run very far, you can start climbing, you can start doing other exercises or races or activities because it all starts at that strong core that you need to work out. And everyone knows we need to do that to be successful physically. In connecting, it's the same thing. So these four muscles, if you work on them each and every day will enable you to be better at connecting with others. With me so far, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the four muscles, uh, you wanna go through each one of them? Is that yeah. easy? Uh, yes, so please. As- S A F S A F E, and I'm gonna go backwards. I'm gonna start with the E. The E is the power of empathy, and we already talked about it. The ability to step into the shoes of another and see things from their world, focus on them. And how do we do that best? By listening. We should be listening more and talking less. And one of the best ways to work out this muscle, uh, just for a show of hands here, um, how many of these do we have? Everyone understand? (laughs) We have two. We have two of these. How many of these do we have? Mm -hmm. One. Use them proportionally. You should be listening twice as much as you should be speaking to anybody. This is so important that when you're in a conversation, you should be asking more questions. When you're asking questions, you're going to get those responses and those responses are going to then be able to formulate how that person's world, what it looks like. And we need to do this by listening better. There's a whole exercise I do about listening, but one of the muscles about doing this is E, the power of empathy. F, a fearless mindset. And that means moving through fear into courage. Sounds really weird, but I know that there are people that will go onto these calls and are even afraid to ask a question. I've seen it. They're like, I don't want to ask that question. It might sound stupid. Uh, Maybe I'm not going to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Fear is something that holds us back and we all have them. I have them, you have them, we all have them. It isn't fearless like we're void of fear. Fearless is understanding what those fears are and knowing how to move through it into a place of bravery, into courage. And the way we do this is by taking a fear and spinning it on its head. If I don't ask the question to a client because I think it's silly or stupid, And it turns out that that was exactly the thing I needed to know. Well, then I'm not going to get the answer I need. So why not ask it? There's nothing wrong with a bad question. There is no such thing as a bad question. If I have a fear of following up with someone, this is my favorite. You know what the biggest fear in sales is? The biggest fear mark in sales is the fear of hearing the word no. And uh, we hate being rejected. I'm going to tell every single person, all 80-some-odd people live here on this call, Mark, I love the word no. I live for the word no. I want you to get to know faster. If something, if someone doesn't want to do business with me, I want to hear it right up front that we're not going to make this connection. We're not going to get into each other's world. We're not going to do business. I want to know it now so I can focus on getting more of the yeses. I've had salespeople work for me who literally are afraid to pick up the phone to call someone because there's a chance they might say no. But meanwhile, they keep it on their sales pipeline because there is a slight chance that maybe they're going to call me back and say yes. The more time that goes on with that, Mark, the less likely they're going to say yes. So I want to get to know faster. Don't be afraid of the word no. You need to have a certain number of rejections to do business with somebody. Basically, if you go out and throw out 100 opportunities, It's going to funnel down to about 20 real opportunities. And in that 20, there's a certain percentage that you're actually going to do business with. So you're going to get a lot of no's. Embrace them. Get to them. Don't be afraid of the word no. Love it, because it's going to get you to the yeses faster. That's an example of one of the fears moving the courage. The last two uh, buckle together to make your show a little bit tighter here, Mark. A is for authenticity. And the S we already addressed, which is your super why, your superpower. Authenticity, make it clear, nobody wants to connect with someone that is not being authentic. The ultimate popping the pin of the balloon of a relationship is somebody lying to someone, someone telling someone that it isn't what it is. Someone pretending to be something or pretending to deliver something and not delivering. We want to be real. If we can't do something, we should let someone know that that's not in our sweet spot or at least let them know, I don't know right now. But if we start to make up a story and then it falls back on us, they will remember that till the day they die and they will literally hold that up to them as knowing you're not gonna be authentic. Authenticity of the connecting core is the linchpin. Without it, it doesn't work. And lastly, Mark asked the super why we talked about it the that's your superpower. That is living and breathing your superpower each and every day, what you are born on this planet to do. And in your job, your opportunity, whatever that is, you got to make that thing shine and lead with the superpower, lead with that muscle of your super why, the why you're on this planet. Embrace all four of those muscles, the S-A-F-E. You have one person that everyone wants to connect to because they are empathetic to what you do. They are fearless in the way they go about their business. They are real as the day is long. And- they are someone super that you want to connect with. That's your connecting
0: core, Mark. You know, I remember when I went through sales training and this, uh, and very experienced salesperson would often say, a no is as good as a yes for the reasons that you've outlined here. But someone also wrote, maybe is the worst, um, because that just leaves you hanging. So you want to get to that <laughs> yes or no.
1: Yeah. When I, hear may- when I hear maybe or I'm not sure yet, I go, tell me, I go, tell me what's going to get me to a no. Right. As opposed to one. saying, tell me what's going to get to you, yes, because that seems a little bit tell, tell me what's not going to make this happen. And, and you won't believe what you'll hear because that actually is a little bit of a trick and an advantage because it puts you in a position where they're going to be like, well, you've only had X number of experiences doing this. I'm like, you know what? You're right. But guess what?
0: It's going to give me more focus of doing business on you every time you could hear that. One of the things I always ask at the beginning of a meeting, especially when I'm helping Entrepreneurs raise capital, or I'm raising capital from my own stuff. Is why did you agree to meet with me? Yeah, I love that. And that usually gives me an idea of wh- which direction I should go into with them, and it gets them on your side because they say, "Here's why I agreed to meet with you," and already you started off in a positive way. The only time that didn't work is uh, the CEO of McCormick Foods uh, set me up with his top executives, and I and I asked that question, and somebody said. Uh, we didn't want to meet with you. The CEO made us meet with you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I go, so yeah,
1: I, I, at that point, I would say, I go, listen, can I get a discount on the bay leaves or the or the flavors? That's what I would look for. I goes, can I get any any type of products here from a partner? <laughs> it, 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 it's totally important to recognize that get to that no, get done because uh, the the one thing we cannot change, the variable in our lives, is time. And therefore, there's only so much of it we have. We want to make the most valuable connections, not the most connections, the most valuable connections to our lives. And I think that's a real important thing to somebody who said, you know, it doesn't matter if you have 6 billion followers or you have six. Um, I know people who have are non-existent in any social media sphere. And trust me, they don't need any more connections as it relates to dollars because they found out where their space is. Figure out where you need to be to own that space so
0: it's most valuable to you. There's a great story in your book and I want you to retell the story. You wrote about a sales meeting you observed and could you briefly tell that story and that the audience could learn from it? Because I've seen so many of these kinds of uh, stories, even with seasoned salespeople, it, it blows my mind. So can you tell that story and, and what you told so, so just to be clear, um, I, am a, I am a speaker and I love
1: to present and I love to give great presentations and having been a salesperson, has made that ability natural to the way that I speak. So I'm, I'm very charismatic when I talk. Uh, but it doesn't always need to be the other way around, meaning the sense that some salespeople will go into sales meetings and will feel that it's a presentation and a show. So a CEO hired me to go to a specific sales meeting and sit in and observe because he was, we were assessing how to help this sales team go. Um, we go into the meeting. I was like kind of a fly on the wall on site at the client. There was the, the salesperson. There was an account person. There was a technology person in the room and myself. And they were helping with all the solutions. And they were giving this presentation. They give a presentation and they leave. And we're in the car now heading back to the office. We get back to the office. And in the car, I want you to mention these guys were fist pumping High fiving, chest bumping, if that was able to be done at the time. And that this was a great meeting. And I was a little confused. Because when we got back, they'd already, the CEO had already heard. I heard there was a great meeting that took place over at this. And I, I now had the door closed and they were no longer there. I go, I would like to make something clear that we have a difference on what great is and what isn't meeting. Because This might have been the least effective sales meeting I've ever been to in my life. Let me summarize as quickly as I can. All they talked about was how great they were as a company and the great things they need to do. They never asked a question to anyone attending the meeting at the client. They just kind of ran through the PowerPoint March of Death, if you've ever been through one of these, going through every capability and all the great things that they've done for other clients and the things that they do that are awesome and why you should hire me, I, us, we to do this. And never did they engage with the client or, more notably, Did they give a clear call to action at the end of the meeting to say, what's next? It was like basically a dog and pony show legitimately like, here's the great things that we do. Here's what we have. It's awesome. You should love it. Thank you for having us. Good night. That's basically how the meeting went. And it was so important to recognize how it isn't about you in the meeting. It is not about presenting your best opportunities, what you've done for somebody else. In fact, my favorite thing is, you know, the logo slide, the infamous logo slide okay. that says, here's everybody that we've worked for, right? It shows every logo that you know, all the companies you've done work for, right? I want to make it clear. You know what that slide really says? Here's everybody that isn't you. Yeah. This is everybody that's not you. You're not on this list. It actually, that's where it puts them mentally. Like I'm not in this club. I'm out of the club. The only logo that you should have on any sales presentation in any meeting is the client that you're pitching to right then and there, them, understanding who they are. And if they ask who have you worked for, you could pull that out of your back pocket or from the appendix slide and they could see and they can go to your website and learn what you've done. You need to figure out that that first meeting is not a presentation of what you do. It's not a show. That meeting is a chance for you to learn how you're gonna solve their problem. That's it, because it's in that meeting that you're gonna find out whether you can or you can't. And that's the difference between winning the business and going on a trail who knows how long to keep something on your pipeline to keep
0: people in. It, it, that's a great story, because uh, there, was a, there was a well-known accountant in Philadelphia, a partner one of the major firms. And I ran this organization where there were 15 guys who ran public companies and uh, 17 members on the board, 15 of them had this one accountant. And so I asked them, why did you choose this accountant? And they said, all the other accounting firms, when we brought them in, they all started by talking about their firm. And he started by asking us to talk about our business and our problems and how we're dealing with it. They also, we had to pull it out of him, what his firm could deliver for us, because he kept asking us more and more questions. And the Interview, which was supposed to be a half an hour, ended up being over two and a half hours. Each one of them said the same story. And here he was sitting with 15 public companies as clients, and nobody could, if he came in, it was the death knell for any of the other accounting firms. They just even hated hearing the fact that he visited some firm that was already a client of theirs.
1: Yeah, you're, you're. And I think um, uh,
0: this goes to my next question about you talk about the concept of ask and listen. And tell and talk. Correct. Talk about that.
1: We live in a world where we need to be in the asking world. Okay. There's this ask tell matrix um, that I love to describe to people. And if we are like that group that went up there and just tell everybody everything, how many of you remembered like, you know, when your mother tells you when you're a young kid to clean your room? Clean your room clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. The room never seems to get clean because all they kept getting it is told and telled and told and telled every, every single time. But yet if you spin the conversation and you ask nicely, like when my parents came to visit recently and my son's room was an absolute flying tornado, I remembered and said, what do you think your grandmother would think if she saw your room like this? And I remembered... My, my, my son saying, oh, well, it probably would be completely disappointed. And the room somehow magically got clean. I didn't say, go clean your room. I basically put it on them to ask a question because a question is empowering. And too often as connectors, we think we need to tell someone something to be powerful. We think because we were in a role, like when we were little kids, like teachers or even doctors, when they told us something and they knew what they were talking about, we accepted it as that's right. And we feel that that's a position that empowers us. But think how powerful you are when you ask powerful questions, like what great consultants do, what great therapists do. They ask questions. Whether they know the answers or not, if you lead from asking, you're gonna use these twice as much as you are this. You're going to be speaking less and hearing the solution that you can cater your responses to and speeding up the meeting, quicken the connection and move things along faster so that you can determine if we're going to do business or not.
0: So uh, one of the things you mentioned in your book, which I thought was really interesting is that um, your research, what do CEOs say is the biggest sales challenge and, and what is the common element? Yeah, the the,
1: <laughs> the the biggest, well, i I'm, I'm trying to remember, I said a bunch of things that they said were the biggest challenge. Do you remember do you remember my answer on that? Just so you could, could lead me in the right direction. No, just I <laughs> that's called a stall for people. Uh, the biggest problem that that sales people have as it relates to CEOs is that they're not specifically gearing their conversation to them. That is the reality, that the reality of that is where they're going. They're not directing it to specifically where they need it to be. And I'd also argue that that salespeople are afraid to fail on this. They're afraid of that fear when they go into meetings. And if you have a sales force that's a little bit afraid of failure, they're not going to be the ones that win for you. So i lean it to that, that you need it on that piece of it. I know that was not the main piece you were trying to direct to. There's a whole chapter about
0: that. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 but this also leads me to ask you the second one, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Talk about the two-minute compact pitch uh, and, and how that was successful for you, because I thought that was very interesting.
1: Okay, so um, uh, I used to be the head of sales for Organic, a company still around today. And... This is right when the internet was first coming out and people were building the first websites and the first e-commerce platforms that were out there. Late 90s, early 2000. This is right around 2000. And uh, there's a huge process. Compaq was looking for a new agency of record. And they sent it out to the top 20 agencies that were in this space. And we all had to fill out one of those RFPs, if any of you have ever been through this request for proposal. Yeah. And it got drilled down and then there was a second set that went to the 10 people that were out there and we made that cut. And then after making the cut of 10, it got drilled down to five companies that were going to go present in person. This was great. We got to go down to Compact uh, It's now owned by HP, but this was down in Houston, Texas. Um, We were one of the selected ones to go, which was great. The bad news was we were going to present dead last. Here's why this was bad. We had to fly everyone down there. My CEO came from San Francisco. We asked him to come to the meeting. My team was based in New York, and we flew down there the night before. And the other companies were presenting for two hours, starting at 8 o'clock in the morning each, all throughout the day, 8 to 10, 10 to 12, 12 to 2, all the way through. And we were going at the very end at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You, anyone can put this in the chat room. Can you imagine what those people looked like after four presentations? Anyone want to think? You think they were happy? They were hangry. Great word. They were fried. Mm-hmm. They were mentally spent. That whole night before in the day, we had a perfect pitch planned out. Every one of my, me and four other team members are going to be presenting. And we were going to be up there presenting our best capabilities. Right before we're about to walk in, I saw the 25 people in the selection committee in that room and what they looked like, that hangry description that someone just typed in the chat room. I said, I pulled the team together. I go, guys, you're going to have to trust me on this. I'm calling an audible. I'm changing what we're going to do. <laughs> just go with me. So we walk into the room. We line all up. I said, very kindly, thank you so much for having us here. We are delighted that we've made this part of the selection round. We know that you're exhausted from hearing four other companies go through all the reasons why they're gonna be the best agency for you. I brought my entire team here and our CEO from San Francisco to show the support we have for the organization. Before we begin, do any of you have any questions from the proposal that we submitted? It's silent for like three seconds and uh, the technology guy in the back row asked some specific question about page 23 that a tech guy would do. And my (laughs) tech guy answered his question very quickly, very succinctly. I said, if there are no more questions, we want to thank you for having us. We want to get out of your hair because we know you're tired and we want to start working with you because we know we're ready as our work has shown and we can't wait to begin. Thanks for having us. And we walked out. So we walk out of the room and there were two thoughts that went in my head. One, I was gonna be fired. The CEO of San Francisco, from our firm from San Francisco flew in and I did not enable him to say one word. He took out his BlackBerry at the time and he was typing what I'm pretty sure was my letter that I was going to be fired by see you later, Lou. We're on our way to the airport. And the other thought that I had in my head was that I knew I was right. I had a gut feeling inside that said to me, I could sense and listen to this room that I wanted to connect with them. I was establishing a connection from all the time I was working that they were tired and anything we said would have never worked. So what was most important was catering to them at that moment. Our cab on the way to the airport, all of a sudden my cell phone rings, one of those big Motorola flip phone things. You guys remember those? You had to flip it up, pull the antenna up. And I pull the antenna up on what analog connection it is. And it's the head of marketing from Compaq. And she goes, Lou, in your haste, when you left, somebody here left their briefcase in the, in the conference room. And I stopped and I said, oh, my God. And sure enough, our COO on my team, he left his briefcase there because he couldn't believe we we're, were leaving. And she goes, should I ship it back to New York or should you turn around and come get it and sign our letter of agency of record to be the agency to work with us? Congratulations. You won the business. I closed the thing and folded it up and I screamed to the cab driver, turn the effing car around, go back, get back there. The CEO is backspacing on his BlackBerry to delete the message that's probably firing me. And we get back in there and that CTO, that technology guy that asked that one question with champagne handing to us as we arrived, he says, do you know why we hired you? And in a moment of silence, we just said, no, what was the main reason? And they said, if they're this considerate, during this pitch process of how we're feeling now. Just think how great it's going to be to work with them.
0: I I love that story. I really love that story. I I have a a similar story that goes to your authentic. I was once pitching uh, to Unisys, a large corporation. And during the uh, pitch, we were meeting with three women and a man, all senior executives at Unisys. And as we're making the pitch, my oldest daughter calls and I see on the phone that she's calling. And anytime my kids call, I stop what I'm doing, I take the call. So I take the call and my partner is 10 years older than me. He is like ready to kill me and say, excuse me, my daughter's gone, give me a minute. So I, I walk out of the room, I tell my daughter, hey, I'm in the middle of a meeting, is it an emergency? She said no, so I call her back. So I go back in, we finish the pitch and my partner is red, He, I, I, his head is going to explode. He waits till we get in the car and he reams me out. And, <laughs> and I said, listen, I don't care if my kids are calling, I'm taking that call. So the next day we get a call from Unisys and the wo- woman says, uh, can you get your partner on as well? And I said, yeah. He so said, he comes in the room and she goes, I want to tell you that um, we were so impressed that you walked out of the room and took your daughter's call that we're giving you the business. All, the only thing that was uh, happened was that he gave me the two middle fingers, uh, <laughs> and but we got their business, and that helped get the company uh, started. So you know, you, you're it's right. It's most
1: important to be, and if there's one message from it all, and by the way, I give the caveat, please do not do this in every single <laughs> sales meeting that you have. Um, the ability to read the room, the ability to empathize and step in and see what everyone else is seeing is what great connectors do. Each of you have, has that muscle in you, that power of empathy, to empathize with everyone, step in and do that. And you will have better relationships and connections and grow and connect work with more people than you'll ever imagine. If you embrace that ability to understand what others are feeling at that moment.
0: So Lou, we got a few more minutes left. I want to ask you, and I think everybody has this. How do you get over the fear of talking about price?
1: You know, uh, I'm going to steal something from you that uh, from from another colleague of mine who does this. I'll I'll leave his name out. But uh, how many of you know about there's two things that you provide, right, when you have a price for something? If you stick the price right up in front of somebody, and this is price in this hand, and this is the value that you're going to deliver behind it, well, what do you see? All you see is the price, and you can't see the value here. But if you switch this around and I put value first and I show you everything that I'm going to give you and how it's going to make you grow and make your business be better, how it's going to save you money, how I'm going to provide you the guidance you need, whatever your business and service line is. When you're giving value first, the pricing is secondary. Most people do not say no to someone because of price.
0: 100%.
1: They say no because what they need right now and the value that's being presented to them is not on the level that they're expecting. and That is where business gets done. If you know you're going to get great value for something, you're going to take it no matter what the price is. So I I make this clear and that's why I joke about these bad tactics of what I've seen. I had someone send me a cold email yesterday and just threw a number out at me at some value of what it was, but I, I, I might, they didn't know if it was going to give value to me. So value first is where you lead with the pricing behind it. And you will have a much easier time
0: communicating that conversation. So um, maybe I should ask you this one. And, and we have two minutes left. Um, how do you develop what you call the fearless mindset? Spin every
1: fear on its head. I addressed it earlier, but it's this simple. If you have a fear, you have three steps that you can do it. One, identify what it is. Identify the fear. Give it, give it a name. Fear of hearing no, fear of rejection, fear of losing the sale. fear of failure. Give it a name. Two, know what that fear is and when it pops up. Understand its familiarity. It comes up in sales situations. It comes up when I talk about price. It comes up when I have to go give my sales meeting internally. Understand the circumstances that this identified fear comes with. And then take the fear and spin it upside down. Don't make the fear overwhelming, meaning upside down, like, okay, put it on its head. So if I'm afraid of hearing the word no, well, no might be a yes. But no, also getting to it faster is going to enable me to not have to worry about this anymore. That's the flip thing. Those three. Identify it, understand the circumstances, flip it on a 10.
0: Lou, you were awesome. I know everybody enjoyed it because only three people didn't stay to the very end. So that's impressive.
1: Now oh, here they drop off. Right? Yeah. Mark, <laughs> truly a pleasure. For And if anyone wants to find me, I'll just give my own selfish plug here. Everywhere of in course. social media, follow me at Thrive Loud. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. You'll find me the same way on thriveloud.com. And uh, listen to go listen to my episode with Mark Kramer. It, it killed it. It was spectacular. He was awesome. Um, but there's many other programs there. And I mean, if your organization needs help and do the stuff that I have, that's where you can reach me and I'll
0: connect. Well, Lou, I, if, you, if it's OK with you, I'll put your email out to everybody if that's OK. Please do. OK, absolutely. We'd love to help. Yep. Sounds great. Hope
1: you'll write another book and we'll have you on again. You got it, my friend. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everybody.
0: Have a great weekend. Please stay safe. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time!